Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. I heard about a lady in her early 70s who was in great health. She was a whippersnapper, firecracker kind of lady, and she got into a wrestling match with an armadillo that she had been waiting out to ambush in her yard because uh, during the day she would find in her yard places where the armadillo had been digging holes. And so at night, she decided one night that she would lay in wait in ambush uh, on this armadillo. And uh, she had a spotlight out there. And so she she kept the spotlight off until the armadillo uh, started making sounds. And the moment the armadillo started making sounds, she turned on her, her spotlight and started attacking the armadillo. But the armadillo, feeling like it was, it was being backed into a corner, started attacking her back and bit her about three different times. And so uh, she decided she might ought to go to the emergency room. She went to the emergency room and they found out that the armadillo was rabid. And it was so bad that uh, they decided to put her in the hospital and they tried every way they could to treat her. And finally, her, her condition got so bad that the doctor came in and he said, he said, look, I, you know, I hate to tell you this, but um, your condition is so bad, there's nothing we can do. And you only have a, a certain few months to live. And I would really recommend that you get your house in order. And so she looked at the doctor in dismay, and uh, then after a few moments of just frozen glances, she turned to her side table, she picked up a tablet, and she started writing. I mean, writing name after name after name. And the doctor saw what she was doing, and he said, he said I'm, I'm glad to see that you're, that you're jumping on this right away, getting your house in order, and I can see that you're uh, making a list of folks for your will to, to leave uh, things that you own in your will. She said, will? She said, I'm writing a list of people I want to bite before I die. In 1987, a, a bomb that was set off by the Irish Republican Army went off in a little suburb outside of Belfast, Ireland. It was set off in uh, a place where a group of Protestants had met to celebrate the Irish Veterans Day. And when that bomb went off, it killed 11 people and it injured, uh, severely injured, 63 people. Among those who were uh, affected by the bomb was a fellow by the name of Gordon Wilson. He and his 23-year-old daughter, Marie, had come to this event to pray and remember and honor veterans uh, of Ireland's conflicts. Gordon and his daughter, Marie, were there. And when the bomb went off, they were, they were covered in uh, mounds of thick concrete and trapped. And Gordon Wilson remembered that as they were trapped there, his daughter turned to him and said, Daddy, I, I love you very much. As it turned out, those would be the last words she would ever say. 
By the time the rescuers got to them, they were able to save Gordon Wilson, but his daughter Marie was pronounced dead at the hospital. One of the headlines in the newspapers in Belfast the next day read, Forgiveness. And the reporter said this, he says, No one remembers what the politicians had to say at that time. And of course, politicians, as you might imagine, showed up to offer their little speeches. He said, No one remembers what the politicians had to say at that time. And no one heard Gordon Wilson, no one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he said. Because speaking from his hospital, Gordon Wilson said, quote, I've lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Marie Wilson back to life. And so I shall pray tonight and every night that God will forgive them. End quote. We're in a series called Forgiveness. Forgiveness is difficult. Uh, Now, if somebody just steals your chewing gum, it's pretty easy to forgive them for that. Although you're not going to let your chewing gum be exposed anymore around that person, right? But when somebody hurts you deeply, they've wronged you in in a major way. It is very difficult, even for the best of us, to forgive them. And so... What is the process? What is the process through which you and I need to go when someone has wronged us, but we know that forgiveness, both receiving forgiveness from God and offering forgiveness to others, is foundational to the living out of the Christian life? How do you do that? So I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 going to read verses 15 through 17 of Matthew chapter 18. These are the words of Jesus. He's talking about forgiveness and how to process through forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Let's pray. Lord, we need you more than we've ever needed you before. Because every day that goes by, humanity gets a little bit worse. And as we get a little bit worse day by day, we need you more every day than we have the days that have come before. We need you. We love you. We thank you for all the things you have done for us from salvation especially to family, friends, jobs, life, so many things, holding us up when we couldn't hold ourselves up, we thank you. Lord, we pray for people in our church who 
are having things going on. We pray for the family of Hazel Hancock, who passed away this week, a member of our church. We pray for Allison Harper, who is in the hospital at Fayette. We pray for our senior adults. We pray for our church, for our future, for our uh, decisions that we need to make beginning tonight. And Lord, with regard to forgiveness, you know, you know more than we will ever know that we have a problem with this thing. We struggle with forgiving. In fact, we'd love to just sweep it under the rug and then make out like there's nothing under the rug. So help us work through this process. You're calling us to work through the process. You're not a God who uh, trains us to be under the rug type people. So Lord, help us to hear your words and apply them to our lives so that we can be the type of forgiving people that you have been to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite quarterbacks is Peyton Manning. Now, my favorite quarterback of all time is Johnny Unitas. He, back in the 60s, he, he uh, was a quarterback for the Baltimore Colts before they later apostatized and moved to Indianapolis. But honestly, uh, the reason I love Johnny Unitas so much is because his favorite receiver was a receiver named Jimmy Orr. I'm kind of liking that. I'm kind of liking that. So occasionally, you, you, you will not believe this. Occasionally, I'll have somebody come up to me, and they'll introduce themselves to me. I'll say, hey, well, I'm Jimmy Orr. And they say, are you the Jimmy Orr? I say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. They said, man, you have aged really well. Because I guess Jimmy Orr is probably about, I don't know, 75 or 80 now. I don't know. I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the one. Yep. But I really like Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, you know, uh, started out his, his pro football career with the Indianapolis Colts, was with them 11 years, uh, carried them to a number of, of uh, uh, division uh, championships, conference championships, and uh, at the end of his 11 years, he had to have some surgery. In fact, he had like four different surgeries on his neck. And there was some question as to whether he'd be able to come back and play football again, and the Colts Although they, they love Peyton Manning, Indianapolis literally worships Peyton Manning. He, he uh, gave so much money to a, a, a children's hospital there that they actually named it after him in Indianapolis. I mean, they really like him. But the Colts' uh, owner decided that uh, they wanted to get rid of Peyton in favor of a younger quarterback, Andrew Luck, who is also a very good quarterback. But pretty much they had written Peyton off as no longer being able to be a quality quarterback. And so the Denver Broncos picked up Peyton Manning. And if you've been following uh, NFL uh, football at all this year, you know that Peyton Manning is on, uh, on par to have the best season of his career. The, the Broncos are 6-0. and oh. uh, He has thrown, uh, on average, a touchdown pass per quarter. Per quarter, hello, per quarter, no quarterback has ever done that. I mean, he's on par. And, uh, but this week, today, the uh, Broncos and the, uh, the Broncos are going to be coming back to play the Colts in Indianapolis. First time Peyton's been back. And there's a big, uh, big, big news hoopla about the fact that they're going to be coming back. And the owner of the Colts, made a statement uh, this week in which he said this. 
Somebody asked him about Peyton Manning, and he said this. He said, oh, well, he says, you make the playoffs 11 times, but you're out of the playoffs in the first round seven out of those 11 times. You love to have the Star Wars numbers that Peyton has, but at the end of the day, and he held up a Super Bowl ring, he said, this really is what you want. And, and he was referring to the fact that during Peyton's 11 seasons there, they only won one Super Bowl. And so he's being critical of Peyton Manning. This was the owner of the Colts. Even the head coach of the Colts said it was a cheap shot. And so later, the reporters were interviewing uh, Peyton Manning, and they, they mentioned what uh, Mr. Hersey had said about Peyton, and Peyton, they asked his response to it, and here's what Peyton Manning said. He said, I've learned that in life you need to be at peace with other people's decisions that affect you that you have no control over. That's good advice I've had over the years, and it certainly served me well in this particular scenario, unquote. I mean, that's that's a heads-up quote right there. Peyton Manning, evidently, and I don't know that much about him outside of his family and his his football career, but evidently, he's a person who has learned in his a uh, short lifetime. He's still young by my standards. Uh, now, I'm not old by my standards, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. Uh, he's learned that he needs to have a, an attitude of forgiveness, proactive forgiveness. The Bible's all about forgiveness. It is woven into the DNA of every chapter in God's Word. There are 1,182 chapters in Scriptures, and forgiveness is in the DNA of every single one of them. And so it is essential. It's what God does for us. It's the reason He sent His Son to die on the cross, so that we could have forgiveness. He offers it to us. And he expects those of us who are in a relationship with his son Christ to also be forgiving people. But when we've been hurt by someone, what is our responsibility as Christians when it comes to forgiving? What is the process that perhaps we need to go through? Let me share with you seven steps. And this is not... uh, This is not something that, uh, I'm not an expert on this thing. I'm I'm not offering this as, boy, this is the law. But I want to offer you seven steps that I think would be helpful to us when from time to time we face the issue of forgiving people who have wronged us. First of all, I think what we need to do is consider the ramifications of your current conflict, this current conflict between you and somebody else. When I talk about consider all the ramifications, I'm talking about how it affects your relationship. First of all, uh, how it impacts your relationship with God. Remember that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he included a component about forgiveness. And he says, forgive us our trespasses just as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. 
And then he goes on to elaborate. It's the only thing he elaborates on. If you look at the Matthew and, and Luke's version of the Lord's model prayer, the Lord's prayer, the only thing in, those, in that prayer that he elaborates on is this issue of forgiveness. He says, for if you do not forgive those who've trespassed against you, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Man, that is a hard verse to swallow. But it comes straight out of the red-letter tongue of the Lord Jesus. So my attitude about forgiving other people is inseparably tied to my relationship with God. So consider the ramifications. What, what, what does it say about how God has forgiven you and, and how you feel about the way God has forgiven you? What does it say about uh, your relationship with another person? And, and, and let me just add one more that's not on the slide, and that is this. How does it, how, what does it say and how does it impact your relationship with yourself? You know, because at the, end of the, at the end of the day, not only do we need to live with God, not only do we need to live with others, but you have no choice but to live with yourself. And the way that we deal with other people either enhances our inner feelings, our inner self, or it, it destroys it. It eats away at it like a poison. So the first thing is consider all the ramifications of your current conflict. The second thing in this uh, process is this. You must take the initiative. You must take the initiative. Now, if you're like me and somebody has wronged me, here's my inclination. I'm going to sell up and I'm going to shut up and I'm going to avoid that person and uh, I'm not going to be nice. Don't do that. Don't do that, and, and, and I'm trying to get away from doing that. That's my natural inclination. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse 15, he says, If your brother or sister sins, that is, sins against you, go and point out their fault. You take the initiative. You see, our inclination is is that if someone hurts us, we need to wait until they take the initiative to realize they were wrong and to come to us and apologize. That's the way we normally think about it. But that is not the way Jesus instructs us to work through this issue. He says, when your brother or sister sins, you go and you point out their fault. You and I must take the initiative in making a decision in the conflict. And if, if for no other reason, one of the reasons why you and I need to take the initiative is this. If we are waiting for that other person to take the initiative, we are giving them control over the entire situation. Why would you do that? Why would we do that? Why would we give the control over to that person who we feel has offended us and hurt us so deeply anyway? Listen, take the initiative yourself. You take the bull by the horns. You take control of that situation. Don't let somebody else control what you do. Take the initiative. Forgiveness ought to be the initiative of every single Christian. It was the initiative of God. He offered it before we ever even knew he existed or cared that he existed. He offered it even though he knew how sinful we, we are. Paul told the Romans, he says, he says but even, even though we were ungodly, Christ died for us. So for God, there was the taking of initiative, and he wants us to take the initiative. Number three, you need to examine yourself. 
Think about your contribution to this conflict that you're having with another person. You see, our, again, our inclination is that person wronged me, they're 100% wrong, and I am 100% right. Now, sometimes that may be true. Although, I venture to say that's in a minority of times when it is that black and white. Usually, if someone has wronged me, there is some involvement, some contribution that I have made to that situation. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to this. He's talking with people who are refusing to forgive and refusing to take the initiative to reconcile, and instead they're just lambasting the other person. Here's here's what he says. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank? Hello? Sawdust? Plank? Hello? In your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your eye? You're a hypocrite. And I wish Jesus wouldn't mince words here. You know what I'm saying? You know, just come out and say it. Okay, Jesus, you're a hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, some people take that passage to mean that uh, because we have a plank in our own eye, we should never, ever, ever judge another person or confront another person. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying uh, it's, it's okay to confront somebody else over what they've done, but before you do that, before I do that, I need to remove the cross tie that is in my own eye before I try to remove a little speck of microscopic dust in my brother's eye who I feel has really thrown a cross tie at me. We must examine our own contribution to this thing because usually we have contributed in some way to the problem and we need to deal with our own responsibility in the conflict before we deal with the other person's involvement. Number four, weigh the offense. Weigh it. Sit on it for a little while, not too long, but sit on it for a little while. Count a long 10 or 20 or 30 days. Sit on it. And then after you've had some time to sit on it and allowed your steam to go down, weigh the offense. Now, the reason I say that is because sometimes when, when somebody wrongs you, immediately that offense, which in reality is about three and a quarter pounds, looks like and feels like a 20-ton weight. Now, it may be a 20-ton weight. It may be that serious an offense, but... I've noticed that if we wait a little while and we allow something to uh, unsteam a bit, what we find out is that the offense that we, th- we thought was so bad really wasn't quite as bad. The chances are that after some time has passed, you will see that the offense may not be as bad as you first thought. And if the offense turns out to be minor, watch me here, if the offense upon retrospect turns out to be minor, forgive that person immediately. Don't even give it another thought. Don't let it run your your indigestion and blood pressure up another minute. If the offense turns out to be minor, forgive that person on the spot. You can. Now, if it's a major offense... And after thought, it continues to be a major offense. You're not going to be able to just forgive just like that. So I'm not, I'm not asking you to do what's unrealistic. But if it turns out to be a minor offense, 
then forgive it and get on with it. Okay? Now, we've got to move on forward, though, if it is a major offense. But weigh the offense. See if it's really as big as you think or thought at first that it was. Number five, consider the impact on you. Should Jesus deal with your offenses in the same way you are dealing with these offenses? I really hesitate to put that particular point in this sermon. You know why? Because I don't like it. I want Jesus to forgive me unconditionally and immediately, but I do not want him forgiving me the way I forgive other people because I like holding it for a while. I like seething on it a little while. But the problem is, the scriptures do not allow me as a Christian to do that. And so, I need to think about uh, the impact on my own life. Should Jesus deal with my sin, and should Jesus forgive me in the same way that I am proposing to forgive the person that I feel has wronged me? And the chances are, I would not want Jesus to Forgive me in the same way that I have historically forgiven other people. That's not the way it ought to work. And so what I need to do, rather than trying to convince God to adopt my forgiveness plan, which, by the way, ain't going to work, instead, I need to, at some point, give in and adopt His plan of forgiveness. And what I will find is that in the end, if I adopt His plan, it's a far better plan. Consider the impact on your life should Jesus forgive you in the same way you forgive others. Number six, if the other person repents, somebody's offended you, maybe you have made, it, made them aware of it, and they repent. They sincerely apologize. And I'm not talking about some kind of, some kind of bogus apology. Here's a, here's a bona fide apology. I'm sorry that I did this. I am sorry. I was wrong. That's a bona fide apology, or at least the beginning of it. Here is a, a faux apology. Are you ready for this? Faux. F-A-U-X. That means false apology. Here it is. I'm sorry that you felt that way. I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry that you're so misinterpreting what I said. That's not an apology. That is bogus. In fact, it's insulting. Listen, if I've offended you, truly offended you, the only, the only proper response for me to make is, hey, I was wrong. What I did was wrong. I wish I had never done it or said it. I apologize to you. No ifs, ands, or buts, period. That's an apology. If the other person repents, then make the promises of forgiveness. This comes from Ken Sand, by the way, who uh, uh, wrote the book called The Peacemaker. Uh, greatly recommend this book. Great book. Here, here are the four promises that Ken Sand said that we need to make when we forgive, uh, uh, give another, forgive another person. First of all, we make the promise that I will not dwell on this incident. I will not dwell on it. Once I forgive you, I make the promise I will not dwell on this anymore. Number two, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. 
I didn't say these were easy. I'm saying they're necessary. Promises of forgiveness. Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. Man. Number four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or to hinder our personal relationship. Those are the four promises of forgiveness. Write those down if you've got a problem with somebody. Write them down. And you better stick them on the fridge. Super glue them to your steering wheel. Put them on yellow stickums and stick them in every pair of your trousers so that every time you get up and every time you put on your clothes and every time you go to get something out of the fridge and every time you drive your car and every time you stick your hands in your pocket like I do while I'm preaching, you feel that piece of paper that says, I've made these promises. And by the way, don't look at those and say, well, I can't do that. Because if you say that, what you're really saying is, I don't believe, God, that you can help me to do that. So it is a questioning of the power of God. By God's grace, you can do, you can make these promises. That's number six. Number seven, if the other person does not repent, then stand willing to forgive them when they do. Let me make a statement here that is going to be maybe kind of odd. God does not unconditionally forgive you. Never has. That's a, that's, a, that's a belief that a lot of people have, that God unconditionally forgives us. He does not. He does not. Let me give you, uh, let me give you some examples. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. These are the words of Jesus. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, John the baptizer says, Repent and believe the gospel. Over and over again, I could give you 30 different scripture references in the New Testament alone that say, God will forgive you if you repent. Now, God offers forgiveness to everybody. But that forgiveness does not kick into effect until you and I own up to our sin, repent of it, and give our lives in a relationship to Jesus Christ. And so, if God doesn't expect, if God's not going to do it, guess what? He doesn't expect you to do it. You can't forgive somebody of a major offense if they don't apologize for it, if they don't repent of it. It's not possible. You cannot do it. Mary Samuels wrote an article called The Question of Forgiveness, and she says, is there forgiveness for the unrepentant? And she cites a Japanese proverb that says this, forgiving the unrepentant is like drawing pictures on water. (laughs) You ever try to draw pictures on water? You're wasting your time. It's not possible. And when somebody repents, it is our responsibility to forgive them. But if they don't repent, what we have to do is stand willing to forgive them. Now, there's a part of that that you and I need to do in order to live with ourselves. Don't let that other person, that unrepentant person, control your life, eat you up. So deal with, deal with your own feelings. Have a, an attitude of forgiveness that stands ready to forgive them should they ever apologize and repent. Sometimes they will never. At other times, they will. But we need to be ready in the event that they do. Listen, but the fact 
that it is impossible to forgive the repentant does not excuse us, does not mean that we should not stand ready to forgive and even offer the opportunity for them to repent. Remember, it is your responsibility to take the initiative. In the book and the movies, Les Miserables, the story is about Jean Valjean, who is a French prisoner. who is transformed by forgiveness. He was sentenced to a 19-year term of hard labor for stealing bread. And after he got out, uh, and by the time he got out, he turned into a hardened uh, convict, and he came out, and nobody would give him a place to stay. Nobody would give him a place to lodge. And so, finally, for four days, he wandered through the village where he had resided seeking shelter until a bishop decided to give him a place to stay with the bishop and his wife. And Jean Valjean, at one point in the night, got into bed and he waited until everybody else was in the bed. And after he was fairly certain that everybody else was asleep, he rose from his bed and he rummaged through the cupboard for the family silver. And once he got it, he crept off into the darkness. The next morning, there were three policemen who had captured him red-handed with the bishop's silver from their cupboard, and they were, they were bringing Jean Valjean back to the bishop. They'd caught him, and the bishop responded to the door, and they said, we've caught this guy red-handed with some of your silver, and we brought him back. We're going we're gonna to take him to a prison. He's going back to prison, and the bishop said this. He said, so here you are. I'm delighted to see you. Had you forgotten that I gave you the candlesticks as well? They're silver like the rest and worth a good 200 francs. Did you forget to take them too? And he turns to the policeman and he says, this man is no thief. The silver was my gift to him. Now that wasn't true. And so they released Jean Valjean into the hands of the bishop, and Valjean is just like speechless. And the bishop looks to him and says, Do not forget, do not even forget, that you promised me to use the money to make yourself an honest man. We're talking about forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen. It is foundational to who we are as Christians. It is what God sent His Son to die for us to accomplish. And even though it's hard, and in some cases maybe the most difficult thing we will ever do, nonetheless, it is our responsibility. We are to be known as people whose default button is forgiveness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, You are all about forgiveness. It's in Your DNA, has been for all eternity. You gave Your Son Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to the cross, 
because you were that serious about taking the initiative to forgive us. Lord, far too many times we have adopted a way of forgiveness that does not even remotely compare to yours. So Lord, I pray that in this room, there are many of us who have felt wronged, some in minor ways, some in major ways. And thankfully, there have been some folks who wronged us, who came on up to it without a fake apology, but rather with a genuine one. And we, we're, that has helped us to be able to move forward. But Lord, there have been some cases where people just never owned up to anything. But Lord, we realize today that we still have responsibilities when it comes to forgiveness. So help us to follow them. Lord, as we come to our invitation, there are people here who need to make decisions. Some will make those visibly. Some will take them to the altar to pray over them. Some will come maybe to join the church or to be baptized or a call to service that they want to let everybody know about. Or There are others who will write those decisions down on a response card. Whatever the case, Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in us right now and change lives. In Jesus' name, amen.